Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody. Welcome into an all-new episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Saveri. On the program today, can we talk about what is happening at our southern border? Nick and I are going to break down the latest events you may have missed that have been unfolding at our U.S. southern border. The House releasing impeachment articles for Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas and more. Plus, later on the program... Tara Palmieri joins the show. She's a Puck News correspondent and the host of Somebody's Got to Win. Congress is open right now for funding until March. What's going to come after that? This whole border security funding fight, Ukraine funding, Joe Biden's reelection campaign. Can Nikki Haley do anything in February to win a primary? All of that with Tara in our next segment. Some quick housekeeping notes here before I say hello to Nick Saveri. As always, a new episode of Nick's other show where he moonlights the educate us podcast is out there now nick and the team welcome in ai futurist and humanist caroline chubb calderon to discuss the impact of autonomous and intelligent machines on the world of education Uh oh nick this sounds like this sounds like a doozy you want to go check out this episode and more from the educate us podcast you can go listen to it wherever you get your pods or head over to leon media network Com and also on leonmedianetwork.com, an all-new episode of Back Your Play with Q is out there. The Super Bowl is set. Rich is get set to take on Taylor Swift as the Chiefs take on the 49ers. Rich and the team break it all down, everything that happened in the conference championship games. Dan Campbell not understanding that they have a kicker on their roster who can actually kick the football. Uh, the Ravens blowing it at home against Patrick Mahomes, and now I have to see his brother 
TikTok his way into the Super Bowl. All of that on an all new episode of Back Your Play with Q. You can go listen to it wherever you get your podcasts or over on LeonMediaNetwork.com. All right. Now I say hello to my buddy, Nick Savary. Before we get into all the heavy stuff, Nick, there's a lot going on news-wise. We're going to get into a lot of different things going on. But first, I wanted to say, as you like to start on your other show with a moment of humanity, how, how's everything going with you, buddy? How, how's everything? I haven't seen you in a few days. How, how's it hanging? It, we're good. Yeah, I appreciate the, the shout out for the show. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited for people to check out that conversation. It's funny. I'll share this here and you know, maybe my buddy will hear this or not. So Thursday, I'm actually going to do what seems weird for a podcaster, which is to go watch another person podcast. Uh, so I'll be in Philadelphia with a buddy of mine to go catch uh, Bill Simmons rewatchables. They're doing a recording on Philadelphia. So they're finding a movie, you know, connected to the city. Right. I think it's going to be Creed. You know, aside from, you know, Mike and I talking a lot and, you know, my buddies and my text group and such, I don't really do a whole lot outside of my family because as I'm getting older, I'm just content being at home, man. For anyone who you. catches this, Kyle Brandt at NFL Network does a great discussion about this idea of like who your real friends are as you get older. And similar to Mike, my closest friends are my kids and my wife. Anyway, so I am going to be in Philadelphia on uh, Thursday and. You know, my wife was asking me, like, are you excited to go? And I said, I, I am. But I know that, you know, between this show and Educate US, on average, I'm probably recording like twice, probably even three times a week, if you consider interviews and segments separately. So I live in this world. Mike and I have been doing this show. This show alone, almost 200 episodes since 2020. This is kind of like old hat on a certain level for me. So I realized today, I said, I think... I'm more excited to hang out with my friend and see the show. And my friend, I imagine, would answer this question in the opposite. Right. I'm super excited. The show is going to be fantastic. But it is weird. I'm like, I'm behind the mic, you know, a fair amount of time during the weekend to turn over and see someone else do it. Who's done longer than I have, to be fair. Um, but it is weird as you get older, what you define as social activities just change. Like my first thought was, all right, so the show will be done. I'm going to be in the car for like an hour and a half. Like, what time am I going to get on the road? Do I need coffee? Am I going to be tired? The answer is yes to all of this. And right. it's, you know, it's my way of saying getting old, it, you know, at least you know who you are as you get old. That's the powerful thing about wisdom with time. But it's also the trade off of, you know, 20 years ago, I'm easily just living up like, yeah, we'll do a shot after and get a, you know, Uber home or whatever was the service back then, a taxi, obviously. Now it's like, Am I going to get enough sleep? Am I going to get my six, seven hours? Because that's important. I got to get the kids up for you know their activities the next day. So this is all a way of saying I'm old, but I'm cherishing people more than um than I guess entertainment. What it's about you? Funny. Well, it's funny that you ask because um I, I'm going through like the same thing. Like you're saying, obviously I'm traveling a lot more for the stuff I've been doing o over uh, on TV. But a friend of mine texted me the other day, like, "Yo, we got we got to go to the Knicks game when they play the Heat down here in Miami." I mean, it's not till April, Nick. I mean, it's January. Like, that's where my head is at right now, where I'm the same way. It's like, if we're going to plan something, we got to plan it out months from now. So shout out to my buddy Carlos, because we will be going to that game. But like, again, it's not till April. So I don't got to worry about that till now. But I, I'm, I'm kind of the same way with you, like where I just don't, I don't think about that as much anymore. Or like you're trying to do, you know, the usual play dates where you get the kids involved and they see somebody else and stuff like that. So um, I did want to transition real quick, by the way, just to give people an overview of what we got going on uh, in the month of February. We have so much stuff that we're going to be covering on the show. I know we've been getting hit up a lot about 
the Israel-Gaza war. Uh, we've been getting hit up about Russia-Ukraine. We've been getting hit up about this drone strike, which I want to mention here at the top of the program here and, our, and send our thoughts and prayers to the three service uh, men and women that that lost their lives recently in a drone that was destroyed, I believe, or uh, it, it hit down um, in a U.S. post that was right on the Jordan-Syria border, um, killing three soldiers, about 40 other soldiers or so are injured. Um, uh, five of them suffered minor traumatic brain injuries. I don't know how you classify something as a minor traumatic brain injury. Maybe your lovely wife, Flora, can break that down for us another time. But the Pentagon said more than 40 troops were wounded in this attack. And it looks like right now, again, preliminary reports as of this taping, U.S. forces may have mistaken an enemy drone for the American one, and they let it pass as it you know, entered this desert base. Why don't you take a listen real quick uh, to President Biden and something that he said as he was on the campaign trail about this drone strike attack. Take a listen. One last thing, I, I want to point out that uh, we had a tough day last night in the Middle East. We lost three brave souls in an attack on one of our bases. Yes. And uh, I'd ask you to come to the silence for all three of those souls. Jesus. And we shall respond. For those of you that couldn't hear there, he said, we shall respond. And he was talking about the tough night that they were having. Um, and so the reason I bring up all three, obviously the two conflicts and then what just happened with the drone strike uh, in Jordan, we are going to be having a military analyst who's on one of the networks and a former colonel in the United States Air Force that's going to be joining us uh, in the next episode to kind of break all of this down. Nick and I know as much about the U.S. military, as uh, Nick knows about uh, going out there shooting a 79 on the golf course. So we we don't know anything about it. We got to get a, you know, a subject matter expert in to kind of talk about where we are with the latest, because there's been some hostage negotiations in the Israel-Gaza uh, war and some updates that are potentially happening on that front. But what the IDF has been doing in Gaza, obviously, we've covered from military lens, not necessarily. And I would love to get that expert's opinion on it. And then Russia, Ukraine has kind of hit the back burner as we've entered 2024 in the presidential election cycle. But it's top of mind for what's happening in Congress. And we are going to mention it in the next segment with Tara. So all of that will be covered in the coming months, uh, in the coming weeks, excuse me. But I did want at the sh at the top of the show real quick. I don't know if you have any thoughts on on the drone strike, Nick. Uh, oh, go ahead. I turn to you because uh, this was, you know, this kind of broke over the weekend. And uh, obviously, if, if you haven't heard about what happened, go go check out. But it looks like, like I said, according to preliminary reports, they were still gathering some information and details that were coming out of the Pentagon. And the president still kind of looking into what actually happened and caused this. But right now, we know that three servicemen and women have died and 40 others were injured, all expected to make a full recovery, though. Um, yeah, your thoughts on it, Dick? Yeah, you know, there's the two things that came to me. One is, you know, this, I mean, it was a little personal for us here because a neighbor in our community, um, her son, you know, serves. And recently, you know, it was it was found that he'll actually be heading to Iraq. Uh, I can't go into more details than that because, A, that's really the extent that she knows. Um, but also, I want to be respectful for the family. Um, we don't know his status, but I did check in with her today. What she shared was that, you know, 
uh, her son talks to his wife like regularly. So like she's waiting to see if if too much time goes by and he's not reached out. But she, you know, she kept she keeps positive thoughts. Um, and I realized as as I reached out to her that she probably gets this a lot. You know, for those in her circle that know, you know, what her son does, you know, so things like this happen. And I heard this story from CNN in the morning. And my first thought was to her and the family. You know, I joked with her that, you know, I think she, I imagine she gets a lot of these questions and, you know, concerns the second we all hear the news. But the reality is it's not like, you know, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin has families on speed dial. I mean, eventually there are calls, sadly, and unfortunately there's three calls I imagine the president has made or is going to make. So it's always important to walk the line of sympathy, but also really dial down the curiosity, which I didn't want to, that certainly wasn't the stance I, I took this morning. That said, I wanted to commend you, Mike, and, and the show here, because when I heard this morning on CNN, and it could have been any network, I had CNN on my radio, you know, by series. So there's this conversation going on about this drone strike and what's happening. And I'm confronted with the reality, the challenges, honestly, of a 24-7 news cycle, because you have one person on a show and she's she's hosting. She has people on who the best person she had on was you know, a military expert who gave really the long view of the way we shouldn't inter- we should interpret this. And I appreciate it because his view was very much about not so much the actions to take, but the decisions that you have to make now and probably going forward. And he had a really broad view about Iran. But my concern is oftentimes when we have programs, and this, I'm talking about a morning show, I'm not talking about primetime. Mike has done a great job on the show of talking about being very careful about primetime news you know, consumption. But even in the morning, we're already hearing this conversation almost almost a little like sports radio, which is really just chilling. The idea of, well, you know, this organization that did this, supported by Iran, might likely be financially supported. And we go down this rabbit hole that's kind of like positioning us, the U.S., you know, versus the Iranians. And that may well be the case, but we don't know. All we know is exactly what Mike just said a moment ago. Three U.S. soldiers are no longer among us. Many people are injured. A base has been hit by a drone strike. And that's all we know. What Mike just said a second ago, too, about the fact that this may have been mistaken as a, you know, instead of being a, you know, being recognized as a foreign based drone as opposed to a domestic one, U.S. based. Those are the facts. And for as much as we try to, want to get ahead of ourselves because i certainly felt it too i certainly felt anger i certainly felt this need of like the president should do something you know but that's my feeling i can certainly share it to mike as a friend of mine or close you know or any other close friend of mine just my gut reaction but when you put a microphone in someone's face or a camera in someone's face there's a certain level of responsibility you have i mean you make a good point and i think i was telling you this a little bit of like the morning show uh evening time like you mentioned more opinion based and i think the frustration like you said is it's very reactionary right like we all watched the nfc championship game and everyone's reacting to what dan campbell if you don't watch sports you may not know all this but the coach of the lions and some of the decision making that he did and so you kind of in the morning show you've got to react to that and like i said i think it's easier in these long form podcast formats and that's why i'm appreciative of what we do not to toot our own horn but 
we can go 30, 40, 50, 60 minutes in depth on a conversation about this. And this military analyst that's coming on may even be the one that you said that you saw on TV. We'll find out. But um, and and you can break down a little bit longer than a seven minute segment. Right. And I think there's a lane for all of that. There's a lane for very quick. There's a lane for 24 hours. There's a lane for I just need two hours. And that's what I think I'm trying to do if, and we're trying to do, I should say, with this show is really hit that, that lane of like, you want to learn more about, you want to dive a little bit deeper and then you take it from there. You take the baton from there and then you go do your own research. And I don't mean that in a Kyrie Irving type of way. I mean that in a legitimate type of way. Um, that's what we want to do on this show. So I, 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 again, thoughts and prayers to what happened. Facts and information are going to continue to come out. The NSC spokesperson, John Kirby, was saying that the president is still kind of assessing everything. Remember, he's on the campaign trail. Remember, South Carolina primary is coming up for the Democratic side this week as well. Obviously, we know he's projected to win uh, and there's real no challenger to um, him, but he's he's on the campaign trail and he was visiting in South Carolina. So obviously, I, I don't know if he's back in D.C. yet as of this recording when it comes out. But we'll see what information comes out if the president's going to do another press conference or not. All right. Speaking of the president and his challenger, the former president, Donald Trump, a lot has been made about what has been happening at the U.S. southern border. It's been all of the talk across right wing media. Uh, It's been the talk on mainstream media, if you want to use those terms. It's been the talk even on some progressive a podcast as what's unfolding at the border is starting to kind of permeate everybody's thought process, thinking it's even high, Nick, on voter issues. We've seen immigration start to slowly creep up into 1A to 1, which is always the economy. And if you don't believe me, I want you to take a listen to CBS News correspondent when he was in Iowa talking to voters and what he said about immigration in a state that is not on the U.S. border. Take a listen. Immigration is the number one thing that gets people talking here in Iowa, even more so than the economy, in my experience. And that's, uh, on the face of it, kind of strange because we're more than 1,000 miles from the uh, Mexico border and the border crisis down there. However, when you think about all the different areas of life that the immigration issue intersects with, you realize, okay, it's drugs, I-35 goes all the way up from Mexico, people are worried about fentanyl, Uh, the economy, people think that the job is being taken by these newcomers are low wage, they're going to drive down wages overall for people. And then there's that really big and charged question of American culture and assimilation. On one level, it is a timeless American question. There are quotes from Ben Franklin in the 1700s complaining about the uh, swarthy Germans, that's his word, (laughs) and the Swedes and the French and how he doesn't want to be overrun by any of them. They speak a funny language and they smell like sauerkraut. So we've gone through this before as a country. Today seems to be, for reasons that you can't quite get at in a conversation with people, different in the voters' minds. They really do worry that something about the scale of the new uh, people coming here uh, and something about who they are makes them feel like this is just different. That was um, CBS This Morning host, Tony Ducopio, uh, that he hosts with Gail King and I think uh, Vladimir, uh, I forget Vladimir's last name, but they host the morning show over on CBS. Um, You heard what he said there. You heard that this is creeping into the minds of voters. We're coming up on election 2024. There's recent polling and a great article 
uh, on The Economist. You can go to theeconomist.com to kind of check this out. It's called America's Border Crisis in 10 Charts. The crisis along America's southern border, polling suggests that just 27% of Americans right now approve of President Joe Biden's handling of immigration, and more than twice as many say they trust Donald John Trump, his challenger, in November's election. Did you hear that, Nick? 27% of Americans right now trust Joe Biden with the border. But the worst part is double that, depending upon how you look at it, double that amount trust the former president who had to remain in Mexico policy. And obviously we've uncovered the stuff with Title VIII, Title 42, and all of that with some of the great journalists and stuff and folks that we've had on the show. In the coming weeks, we are actually going to have a representative from the state of Texas that's going to be talking about the border and some other D.C. related issues. And we're going to ask her about what she's hearing from her constituents and what do we make of border funding. But before that, what's happening right now with the border is also hitting in D.C. because Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, which I mentioned before, the House committee introduced articles of impeachment against him. This committee in a 20-page resolution, they're accusing Mayorkas of high crimes and misdemeanors, including willfully disregarding immigration law, saying that he is, he's accused of, excuse me, willful and systemic refusal to comply with the law for failing to manage the situation at the U.S.-Mexico border and breach of public trust. Now, I'm going to give you some quick stats, and then I want to play Representative Mike McCall and what he said about Mayorkas. But just right now, Nick, just right now, year to date in 24, there's close to a almost a million total enforcement actions that have happened at the border. That means that the Office of Field Operations that encounters them and then the U.S. Border Patrol that encounters individuals at the points of entry, lawful and unlawful points of entry. There's close to a million so far. We're in January, my friend, 988,000. And again, 2021, 22, 23, year over year, 1.9 million, 2.7 million, 3.2. In terms of encounters, those are for the whole calendar year. We're almost at a million. We're not even, we're not even in February yet. It's not even Black History Month yet, okay? Now take a listen to Representative Michael McCall, he was on the Sunday shows. He was on Fox News Sunday with my buddy Shannon Bream. And he had said something about Alejandro Mayorkas and why these articles of impeachment were being introduced. And then he gave him a nickname that I don't know if I'm crazy about. Take a listen. Uh, he knows better. This is not by accidents, by design. And he, I call him the architect of destruction. Uh, Eight million encounters, uh, 300 on the terror watch list. 200 million people dead now thanks to fentanyl poisoning that this one man is responsible for. I think that is a dereliction of duty. And, you know, we looked at the founding fathers here. They didn't have a lot of federal criminal statutes. Breach of the public trust is sufficient to impeach. And, uh, you know, I think it's important that we respond to the American people. Nick, if you caught it real quick before I turn to you, he said 8 million total actions. That's kind of around the number I gave because Mayorkas obviously came in under the Biden administration. So he's he's pretty spot on with that number. And did you notice he said 300, 300 on the terror watch list? Do you know what percentage of 8 million 
is 300 people. It is, I don't, I can't even do it on a calculator right now. It's probably less than 0.001%. If I'm just, again, 10%, you know what that is, folks? That's 800, right? That's 800,000, right? And then just keep on going down the list. 300. I have to be concerned with 300 individuals out of 8 million. Not belittling the 300. I'm just saying. Also, he said that 200 million people or so had died of fentanyl, which is absolutely not true. I think he meant to say 200,000. But according to a report at the end of December over at NPR, about 112,000 deaths have been recorded, fatal overdoses in terms of fentanyl. So now I turn to you, Mr. Severi, because I did want to talk a little bit about what is happening at the border. And I want to infuse some stats and data around illegal immigration and, you know, the the folks that are actually being encountered at the border, the ones that are seeking asylum uh, in these immigration courts, the courts are backed up with all of this. It is an actual crisis that's ongoing because of how many people are being encountered because of how much the custom border patrol has said that they're undermanned and under-resourced. The numbers I just gave you right there are very alarming in the first quarter so far, but now coming home to roost in D.C. is the potential for an impeachment of a sitting DHS secretary. When has that happened before? I'm not sure. I turn to you, who's more of the historian on that front. But what do you make of it all? I struggle with this because, you know, in general, I'm this current version of Republicans, when they talk about a crisis like this, I tend to be distrustful because the track record of this version of the Republican Party, especially under Trump, is can be very deceptive. If you want to say that you're concerned about, you know, a, a surge of migrants on the southern border, that's fine. I mean, you can certainly talk about that. But, you know, while the numbers have at least and Mike, you've spent more time in the data than I have, but it has the, I mean, the numbers have certainly risen since Biden has come to office. Bear in mind that we are coming out of a pandemic. So you have to wonder, even if Trump maintained the presidency and won in 2020, does this surge continue? Does the you know does the number keep climbing? I, my, I'm always all over the place with this because a it's not it's not the strongest area of my experience, and it, it's not for most people, honestly. And we've had so many people on this show that have talked about that this has been a historical mess. It doesn't that does not matter who's the president. No one has seemed to solve this, and I always come back to to your point about history to look beyond the border and look at what's going on in the in the countries below the southern border what is causing a surge of migrants you know the choice to come to the united states to enter the united states for an opportunity a better life well that's to tell you that where they currently live the options are far more slim so we can talk about the fact that we're dealing with a growing migrant population, but are we prepared to have the conversation with what can we actually do for the nations that are in such dire straits that they're having people just trying to sacrifice their lives in many cases to try to get into the United States? That's the bigger conversation that regardless whether you're a Republican or Democrat, we should probably be figuring out. You know, that said, you know, every time I hear someone talk about fentanyl, you know, and, and this is, you know, Republicans do this very well. It's a code word because these are the same people that didn't give a damn about crack. These are the same people that really didn't give a damn about cocaine. These are the same people that have had no vision ever 
of dealing with any form of you know drug enforcement policy. This is the party of just say no. Now I'm supposed to believe that you care about fentanyl. I'm supposed to now believe that with the opioid crisis, now Republicans give a damn about a health issue. Why? Same people that didn't want a mask suddenly care about fentanyl. Same people that don't want to give to have no vision for guns want to worry. Let's talk about those 300 people you mentioned on the FBI watch list, Mike. I don't think any of them were there on January 6th, were they? I don't think any of them were are likely to have attacked a school building. We have certainly a challenge. We have certainly an issue with this many migrants or any anytime you have you know, people choosing to come to the United States, you have to look at root causes. What is going on in other places that would cause people to choose to you know, emigrate to the United States? And at the end of the day, this country is built on immigrants. That is the absolute reality of it, despite what a moron like Charlie Kirk likes to say. All that being said, if we're going to go after the if we're going to go after you know, Secretary Mayorkas, fine, fine. Politically, though, and I don't know if this is the case, even if he gets impeached by the House, Mike. The Senate would still have, I'm asking you this, the Senate still has to confirm this. They still have to play a role in this. Okay, great. Then that means nothing's going to happen, that this is just theater. And this is what I'm very curious about. Do the House Republicans know this? Do they know that this is not going anywhere? But this scores political points because in 2024, in an election year, what can you do? What can you do to stoke fear? Because that is exactly what that party likes to do. Now, let's talk about for a moment when we when this conversation comes up about a vision to do something. This is where I struggle with what the vision is. You know, the idea that 54% of people, those were polled, think Donald Trump would be a better person to address this problem. They trust him more. I don't understand what exactly about his presidency gave you any sense of trust. Same person that turned around and said, well, Mexico will pay for the wall. Didn't happen. Couldn't get the wall done, despite having you know, the House and Senate both under Republican control. We've agreed. We all agree to this. Any sensible person looks at Donald Trump and says, Bozo, who also now is $83 million poor. So if you're telling me that you don't, you have an issue with the way Biden's handling the border, I get it. I totally understand. But to think that Donald John Trump is a better response to this, whose idea was to build a giant wall, not that we would pay for, but that Mexico would pay for. I am all for immigration policy. But as you brought up immigration, I want to bring up something very important about Congress. There is a bill that is currently being put that Senate Republicans have agreed to. It will pass the Senate. And yet it's not going to get passed by the House Republicans, is it? Why? Ask yourselves that. If this is such an issue for Republicans, why is there no passion to get this to move forward? That could it be that the current likely nominee for the Republican, the Republican nominee for president has already said, don't pass it because it's a political issue that we could use against the Democrats. And lastly, to the people in Iowa that were polled, that were asked, that are this concerned, are you also concerned? God, I sound like Stephen A. Smith right now. Are you also concerned? about mass shooters? Are you also concerned about people that want to remove a woman's right to choose? Does that matter to you at all? Probably not. It's a political thing. You're scared about brown people coming in your neighborhoods, which they won't because it's Iowa. So that's where you want to come from. That's fine. Go ahead and say that. But at least have the decency to say, you know what? When I see brown people in my neighborhood, I get just a little concerned. All right. So a couple of things there. Um, First off, Donald Trump has $83 million, 
let's let's not kid ourselves here. I mean, he probably got that much in funding off of this campaign raising and stuff like that. Whether he should be using it towards this, he's got that. So just to push back on that, like I know people and does he have 830 million? As I put on Twitter, like if it was if the decision was 830 million, maybe he can't cover it. 83 million, he's got that. Rudy Giuliani don't got none of that. And so that's why he's suing the former president right now. You can go check out about that story. Anyway, second point that you made there about the Republicans in Congress and specifically utilizing this, excuse me, as a political football as we head into November. That is true, according to a report. And there's been some reporting across Punchbowl News, CNN, um, that a GOP source said that Mitch McConnell told Republicans at a private Wednesday meeting in the Senate again that they're in a quandary and the bipartisan talks over immigration uh, are going to be off the table right now. We've heard some sound from Mitt Romney talking about this, saying, look, we have a deal in place. It would it would pass in the Senate. Would it pass in the House? Who knows? Um, it all depends with my, Speaker Mike Johnson and what he would want to do there. We know about he would probably lose his job if he signed something that the Freedom Caucus uh, didn't like, and all it takes is one person to say no. So you are correct about that. Now, let me get into a little bit of the the data stuff that we were talking about before, because there were some interesting findings in this Economist article that gives you a bunch of charts, and you were asking a little bit about the concern of people coming here. It is true. There are a lot of people coming here. And again, it's different because in 2020, 2021, after everything that happened with the pandemic, uh, President Trump had a Remain in Mexico policy and they enforced some type of law to be able to send people back because of the pandemic, which is why enforcements and encounters were down. Getting back to your root cause thing, though, as we get into 21, 22, and 23, normally when you see folks coming in from the border, you do see people coming in from specific countries. There's called the Northern Triangle Nations, which are Guatemala, El Salvador and Honduras, or you get folks that are Mexican. Under the Trump administration, you had a lot of folks from Venezuela coming in because of the stuff that was happening with Maduro's government over there in Venezuela. Well, what's happening now is you're getting a high population of other folks that are outside of those countries coming in. Tens of thousands of people, according to the data, are from India, Russia, China, that are coming in. This is again, this is not me saying this. This is an article that you can read on The Economist. And we all know that The Economist is kind of straight down the middle. This is not a uh, right wing or left wing uh, publication. Now, the other big issue is with the crisis at the border and what I've been talking about. I'm with you on if we want to talk about how we solve this, we have to talk about the impact because the immigration courts are impacted by this. Right now, the number of judges. If each judge right now that was presiding over a case for all of these asylum cases, all the backlogs of all the folks that have come in and are waiting for these asylum trials, listen to this stat, 659 immigration judges, if they ruled on four cases every day, it would take them four years to clear out all of the people that are waiting for their asylum trials. Did you, did you hear me? 659 judges we have presiding over these immigration uh, proceedings, and it would take them four years to clear all this out if they expedited things quickly and did up to four cases a day. I don't know if you've ever been to court, folks. You ain't making four cases in a day unless you're in traffic court and the and the traffic judges are just ripping them out, you know? So that's the first thing. Um, 
under the Obama and Trump administration, deportations were higher under both of those administrations. So under Biden, deportations are down. In 23, they're a little bit higher year over year than 22, according to ICE, but they were still way down. At the Trump administration, they were higher in 18 and 19, and his decline in 20 obviously was because of the pandemic, so they weren't encountering as many folks. And then under the Obama administration, 2012 was the highest peak of deportations, according to Immigration and Customs Enforcement. So you would think of all these folks that are listing immigration as a huge issue for them, well, then I've got a president for you. His name is President Barack Obama, because he was deporting people left and right, according to these totals. Again, all of this can be found at theeconomist.com. Um, the border wall is the last thing I wanted to say. A poll in 2017, in 2017, again, this is Trump's first year in office, found that only 12% of Democrats favored building a wall at the southern border. In December, same December, six years later, by the way, I got married in December of 2017, so six years later was my anniversary, shout out to my wife, 32% of Democrats now say they support a border wall. 20% increase rise. So what do we have here in totality, Nick? We have Democrats are agreeing this is an issue and they want to do something about it. Republicans in the Senate and particularly the House are doing things that look politically motivated around it. Mitch McConnell telling privately, no, we're going to kill the legislation because Trump doesn't think it'd be a good idea. Meanwhile, the House is going to impeach a DHS secretary that wouldn't pass in the Senate, so he wouldn't be impeached anyway. So it's all political theater. So we we dance around this issue, and you and I are landing our plane on the same thing. We don't have a solution for this. We turn to our lawmakers who should have the solution for this, and right now they're playing political theater in front of us. This issue is so wide-ranging, and it's coming up for folks as far as Iowa and all these other key states that are going to be pivotal in this election cycle. And right now, we have nobody that's actually solving and tackling the issue. We leave it there. When we come back after the break, Puck News correspondent, the host of Somebody's Gotta Win, Tara Palmieri, she joins us to break down everything we just talked about and all the latest news and notes happening out of D.C. Tara, when we come back after the break. 
Nick, today's episode is presented as always by our friends over at Fresh Roasted Coffee. Since 2009, their passion has always been bringing you gourmet coffees from all over the world, roasted fresh to order. I got my coffee snob here, Nick Saveri. Nick, tell these people, coffee snob it up here. Tell these people why Fresh Roasted Coffee is so good and why they're the official sponsor of Can We Please Talk? You know, often the best cup of coffee that you're ever going to have is the one you can, you can make from home. And you need good quality coffee to do that. And that's what Fresh Roasted Coffee offers. You know, between single origin, between blends, flavors, anything on the coffee spectrum they've got. But more importantly, and I can't stress this enough, often when you purchase coffee, you don't know where to start. I mean, there's so many different varieties, so many different opportunities, so many different things you could choose from. And Fresh Roasted Coffee just gives you a very simple questionnaire and just says, hey, figure out what your cup, what your coffee cup is. Figure out what blend works for you. I've gotten some single origin recommendations, so is Mike, and that's influenced everything. And what they recommend, you can get in a Keurig cup, the way Mike takes it. You can take it in the way I do it, which is typically through a French press, or you can get it for a percolator. Whatever coffee machine you've got, they've got you covered. But more importantly, just a huge variety and a way to learn more about coffee itself. And all of this is available at freshroastedcoffee.com on their site. One cup is all it takes to fall in love with fresh roasted coffee, but you get a discount for being a listener of Can We Please Talk. Enter in the promo code Can We Please Get 20 to get 20% off your first purchase. Head to freshroastedcoffee.com today. This episode is presented by the good folks over at Nerd Focus. New energy drink sponsor on the show, Nick. Let me ask you a quick question. Do you lack focus and concentration, motivation? Do you need something to boost your stamina and strength? I do. You know, coffee coffee isn't enough, so I'm always looking for other options. Well, I got something for you, Nick, that's going to boost your stamina and strength. It's going to enhance your focus and concentration. We're going to ramp up your motivation. We're going to provide alertness and stimulation. We're going to even improve your mood, Nick, which a lot of people on this on the comments are going to be happy with. I got the original Think Drink infused with powerful nootropics, performance-boosting nutrients, Click the link in our show notes right now to get a special offer on Nerd Focus beverages for being a Can We Please Talk listener. Nerd Focus, there's a nerd in everyone. All right, it's time to talk to Washington's most feared and fearless reporter, the woman who knows what is happening from the White House to K Street. And if you're unfamiliar with DC, it's just around the corner from each other. Tara Palmieri joins us over from Puck News and the host of Somebody's Gotta Win. Tara, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you know, Tara, first of all, I love that. That's in your bio. You are the most feared and fearless woman uh, over there in, in <laughs> everything reporting. I, I think it's great because there's a lot to get to with what's happening in DC. And I also want to cover some of the mm -hmm. stuff you've been talking about on your pod with the GOP and some of the things we've been talking about here on this pod and I've been mentioning on mm -hmm. TV. But first and foremost, let's start with the latest of what you're hearing out in Capitol Hill because you know, this government shutdown thing, it's been looming for months. It keeps getting punted yeah. to the next month, the next month. And the main focal points of why it keeps getting punted is around Ukraine funding and what's happening at the border. And we know the political right. football and environment right now of what those mm -hmm. two topics entail. So what is it that you're hearing right now about will the government get funded further past this? And then the two stalemate issues uh, in terms of Ukraine funding and the border. 
I'm sure the government will continue to be funded. Uh, they keep using these continuing resolutions, which are just like short-term funding bills. And that's sort of how they get by, by saying it's a stopgap measure. It's just a short-term funding bill until we get to the real funding bill. It's sort of pushing everything off for another day. Um, and we've been doing that for years. It's crazy, right? Um, but as long as Republicans are in power um, and the um, chambers are split, this is just what we have and what we're going to deal with. Um, in terms of the Ukraine funding bill with the border, I think that every day, the more and more details come out, the more it looks like it's dead on arrival, especially because um, President Trump has already voiced his opposition to it. He's now the presumptive nominee of the party. A lot of the members feel beholden to his um, position, especially the rightward flank. It gives them even more political um, will and um, to try to stop the Speaker of the House from putting the floor on the bill. I'm talking about people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates who can threaten if you put this bill on the floor for a vote, because Democrats will vote for it and some Republicans and it will pass, we will trigger a motion to vacate the same thing they used against McCarthy, which ultimately ended his, you know, uh, speakership. So there's a lot riding on that. Kevin, uh, Mike Johnson obviously is not only an ambitious person who probably wants to keep his job, but he's also um, a member of that same group, right word, right leaning you know, at one time was called the Freedom Caucus. Now it's MAGA Republicans. And he's not, you know, it, it, he does not want to alienate that part of the party. He doesn't want to alienate the leader of the party, Trump. And that was pretty much solidified last week when he won the New Hampshire primary. You know, we were talking about it in the first segment before you hopped on about the border and, and the crisis at large, which is really around the impact that folks are feeling it from the CBP perspective, from ICE, from the immigration mm -hmm. courts, it's felt all the way on down. And so mm -hmm. it just, it begs the question of, and maybe I'm oversimplifying this. And again, you and I are both, you know, in the DC throes of politics, but um, mm -hmm. is it just as simple from the outsider perspective, somebody listening to this show, is it as simple as, hey, there is a solution in place, but these House Republicans really don't want to solve this problem because nobody has solved the problem of the border over 30 years, right? They just keep punting the football like we talked about the continuing resolution. Right. It's as simple to people that are watching it that these lawmakers are like caricatures of themselves. They just don't want to solve this problem. They know that coming up in November, they want to get into power. Is it that simple? Or is there, no, you know what, Mike, there actually is something else here to it. Well, I, I, I understand why some of the Republicans are unhappy with the bill. It basically allows 5,000 people to cross the border and request asylum before Biden can essentially stop the asylum processing. He can effectively close off the border. And some people might say, well, 5,000 people a day is still a lot, right? It's, an, it's a pretty big number of people. And so I understand why Dem Republicans, especially those on the border, border states like Ted Cruz, et cetera, like they're going to say, no, unacceptable. We don't want to process another asylum seeker. And if you live in those states, you know, they they do feel the influx and the overwhelm. And even people in the northern, um, even people in, up north, New York, Chicago, where a lot of these uh, migrants were, were transported by southern governors like Texas Governor Mike Abbott, uh, sorry, Greg Abbott, they also are now complaining that they're at capacity trying to um, you know, accommodate these this new flux, influx of people. It's a huge crisis. And a lot of Republicans are just saying it's not good enough, right? Um, and but I think it's a step. You know, it's a step in the right direction. And 
it's a matter of do they want to take this step in the right direction? That would be a win for Joe Biden, although it would not completely seal off the border. Um, and it would, you know, that's the question. Now, it's also a win for the Democrats, too, because, I mean, for a very long time, they didn't want to go near border politics, right? Democrats did not want to alienate their progressive base by suggesting that they would even stop asylum seekers or crossings. But they've realized that if they want to win in the seven or so battleground states that matter in the swing states, they're going to need to go, they're going to need to uh, attack this kind of politically unpopular issue with their left base because it's both Democrats and Republicans are naming migration at the top of their concerns when they go to the ballot box. So I kind of see it from, I see it from both angles. I do think it's worse. I think Republicans are playing even more political. Um, they're, they're using this as a wedge issue. I think they're using it as a, a cudgel political weapon, but Democrats wouldn't be doing this either if it wasn't an election year and the polling resoundingly showed that their own party or at least the voters that they need to win, which are probably soft Republicans, some of them want this. So well like said. They've had a chance to fix. They've had a chance to fix that migration for a long time as well. You you are feeding into these follow ups perfectly because the previous segment we mentioned about there was a poll in 2017, 12 percent mm-hmm. of Democrats, I believe it was, that were surveyed felt like immigration was a huge issue. Now, 32 percent. There was a poll as well about President Biden handling of the border. Twenty seven percent support it, whereas double support former President Trump's handling of the border. So I wanted to get into, I want to pivot real quick into President Biden and the, and the campaign, because what are some things that you're hearing from, from voters or even folks close to the campaign for President Biden as they get ready? We're going to get into who's going to be the front runner on the GOP side, although we probably already know. But what are you hearing about how they're going to message around some of these issues to voters as the South Carolina primary is coming up this week. We get into the throes of it right now. And the president's mm-hmm. got to go out there and run on his record. And he's got a very low approval, according to Gallup, at 37 percent over the past 18 months. Right. What are you hearing from folks about what the president should be saying about some of these issues that have come home to roost, unfortunately, even some that are not of his own doing? You know, it's like, yes, the economy is not great for him right now. Um, he's not polling well, even though he. They can argue that they stopped a recession, but people don't tend to vote based on something that the fact that you stopped something from happening. Right. Um, although, you know, stocks are up, Dow's up, people are starting to feel more enthused. So who knows a year from now, maybe they'll feel like they'll give credit to Biden for that. Um, but they were feeling the pains of inflation for a long time. Some people still are supply chain issues, et cetera. Uh, migration, again, top of mind. Pocketbook issues are always top of mind. Biden is a more conservative leader um, for a Democrat, you know, Um, and so that's why he plays well in South Carolina rather than some of these other states like, you know, where the progressive base is very strong, like Iowa, New Hampshire. And that's why they changed the the calendar so that South Carolina, the first um, nominating state for Democrats, would would be a strong showing and support for Biden. Um, He's got to go in there and and continue to, you know, talk about his about his message on the economy. And now he has something else to talk about if they pass this migration bill that he helped to stave off some of the uh, migration. But he's kept a lot of the same uh, Trump era policies in place in terms of the border, like Title IX. And uh, he's admitted like there is a problem at the border. His, you know, there's there's no doubt about that. There's something. And, and when you're the president, they blame you. That's how it works, you know. So 
they've got to deal with this issue uh, before the election. And I just think there's a question of confidence and com- in, in Joe Biden and fairly un- or unfairly, it's because of his age. And that's a big part of the, what the polls are showing us. A number of people think he's too old to run for president. Two thirds of his party think that. That's distressing. Now the question is: Are they going to rather? Would they? Are they going to go out and vote for him? Are they going to so that that President Trump is will not be the nominee? Or will they stay home? And then what about the people who are going to vote and protest to him for third party candidates like Cornell West or Jill Stein, because maybe they aren't they're unhappy with how he's handling the war in Israel. They think, you know, they're pro, they think he's too pro-Israel. And uh, those people might come, they might either not come out, come out and vote for third parties. And those are people that that Biden would need. Even just a few thousand votes, they matter in these swing states. Just ask Hillary Clinton about Michigan and Pennsylvania um, in 2016. So it's the votes, every vote matters. And it's going to be such a nail biter of an election that like they're pulling out of on every issue. Well, I want to promote uh, something that you're doing around the primaries and the election, which is your great show called Somebody's Got to Win. You can go check it out over on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts, because uh, you've been covering a lot of the GOP race, DeSantis dropping, Nikki Haley mm. still in it. So let's do the first thing first. Let's stay on the GOP side. Um, I've been on recent segments talking about Nikki Haley's chances. And I look at it more from the map and the analytics around it, right? New Hampshire is a very college educated populace, 40% undeclared, Mm -hmm. uh, undecided, whatever you word they want to use to describe those folks. And not that many of them came out in support of Nikki Haley, where she lost by 12 percentage points. Now, she lost by 21 percentage points in Iowa. So is the trend Mm -hmm. swinging her direction? Who knows? What says you as you've been covering this? I know you've had different folks on the ground in both states covering this, and it's just the first two in terms of caucus and primaries, but what do you think is a chance, a realistic chance, as we get into Nevada, South Carolina, Michigan here in February, that Nikki Haley can actually do something and make it to Super Tuesday where 19 other states will vote and have some more open primaries? Or is this thing over and we know it and we're just kind of, you know, running out the clock here? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I do not see the pathway for her forward. Um, her team thinks if she gets to Super Tuesday, she can win some more of the moderate states, um, Michigan, et cetera. Um, I don't know. I don't think she's going to win South Carolina. It's her home state. And if she gets really crushed by Trump, there's a very strong argument that she shouldn't stay in the race any, anymore. But at the same time, people close to her, her donors, those around her think this person has a lot of legal issues. He's an older man. Anything can happen. Why not stay in the race for as long as possible? just as an insurance policy, essentially. Question is like, does the insurance policy lose um, so badly that even being an insurance policy does not seem to be, you know, appropriate for the voters. And uh, she has to win delegates. Like you can't win the nomination without delegates. Even if he has legal problems, even if he's convicted, he can still run for president. He has the delegates. It just, the, the numbers don't really add up. I don't see all the states that she could win that would make her the winner unless he, com- he drops out of the race. And I don't see a scenario in which Trump drops out of the race. I think Trump is running because of his legal problems. I don't think he's running. I don't think the legal problems would keep him out in any way. I did want to ask you, um, now let's shift. Let's say Trump does become the presumptive nominee. Both men alive and healthy, even though they're both, one's 80, and by the time uh, 2028 comes around, they'll both be in their uh, early 80s uh, to mid. So now we got a rematch of where 60% of Americans say they don't want this. 
you know, your mm-hmm. show's appropriately titled Somebody's Gotta Win. Almost as if like <laughs> we have to give this to somebody. So what right. says a host of a show <laughs> begging for somebody to win, even though two thirds of Americans don't want this rematch? What oh, do we make not, of it? Uh, the show isn't about begging. It's more about it's reflective of the feeling of the country right now, which I think no one's really too enthused about the options that we have. Um, but somebody's got to win. And I think that's that's really more what I'm trying to reflect. I think there's a sort of malaise, uh, even t- tune out of the media, disinterest, uh, feeling like, is this the best that America has? And where, how did we get here? But ultimately, you know, your vote matters, um, especially in a tight election like this. And yes, somebody's got to win no matter what, um, you know, no matter what you think. I mean, <laughs> and staying home is not exercising democracy, right? And and you might not be happy if you stayed home with the results. So uh, yeah, that's, that's, it's kind of, somebody's got to win reflects, I think the feeling in our country. I don't sense like it, it was 2008 again, where there was real enthusiasm around Obama. Like even if it was just Obama, but even the, the right, the right was enthused by Sarah Palin for a minute. They were really energized by her. She kicked off the Tea Party movement. Um, so it's sort of, there was more enthusiasm about politics at that time. Now we're in a malaise. Right. And I think my, especially for young younger voters, who maybe don't remember 2008. And they're probably just thinking, you know, what's what's going on here? Why is, um, you know, why, why, why are we in this place? And in some ways I kind of think like, where the hell are like the old millennials right now stepping up? Why, why don't we have more Pete Buttigieg's? Like, why don't we have more people like that trying to, to take the crown, you know? And, and, why do we think that these two flawed candidates are the best that we've got? And where, like, it used to be that people like grabbed power and now they sort of seed it. But maybe they think that the machine is too big and too strong after all these years in which they were able to pick their candidates. Even now, the Democratic National Committee moving the calendar to make sure that Biden did not have a primary. It just shows you that, like, I think people are demoralized. They're like, wait a minute the national party can stop a nominating process essentially and have it benefit the person in power. How, right. how does that feel fair? Right. Dean Phillips is complaining about that. Yep. Exactly. And on the Republican side as well. I mean, right. how can the RNC say, you know what we're going to call, they tried to last week say, we're just going to call Trump the nominee. How is that a nominating process? He hasn't won yet. No, he has not. He still has, he still has a contender. Exactly. He doesn't have the delegates. You know, uh, Tara, it's almost as if I gave you these questions because you're funneling into these follow ups perfectly. I did not give her the questions, but <laughs> I did. You mentioned there about malaise and mistrust of the media. You know, I live in Miami here, so I hear it. Lucky a lot. you, by the way. Oh, I'm freezing up here. Oh, uh, well, sorry. <laughs> I'll send you some more warm weather up there. I said I was warm when I went up there last week, but, mm. um, I, you know, I hear it around down here. And the reason why we started the show was because. You know, I'm a former Fox News producer and I wanted to kind of like, hey, I know what that side sounds like. Let's let's mm-hmm. get some more centrist and subject matter experts. Let's get back to mm-hmm. people who know what they're talking about. And 
people are finding information in different ways. I just mentioned your show and specifically what you guys do over at Puck News. You guys have been able to kind of cut out your own market in this Mm -hmm. big three media of cable news that is kind of not necessarily dying, although the linear side Mm -hmm. is dying, but it's revolutionized now because there are other Mm -hmm. avenues and outlets that people are listening to, including this podcast. So I would love for what do you think of the future of journalism? Are we just going to see more and more mm-hmm. people that used to work at these traditional powerhouses just start their own sub stacks, sub stacks, excuse me, their own podcasts? Like what's the new wave of like how people can get information or and not be led down the path of misinformation? And then how does Tara consume news? Mm-hmm. How would she recommend it to somebody out there that's listening to this podcast? That's a really great question. I think a lot of journalists have decided to become more entrepreneurial. That's what how I would describe it. Um, I, you know, I worked at ABC News. I worked at Politico. Um, I worked as a contributor for CNN. And, um, you know, at some point as a journalist, like you realize you have built a brand yourself and people trust you and they um, and, and you can sort of you can be the, you can form a personal connection with your listenership, your readership in a way that like, it's hard to build inside of a larger organization sometimes, um, unless you are given the column or given the show. And, you know, so in, in some ways I'm kind of going out and, and making it myself and instead of kind of waiting to climb up the ladder, I guess you could say, right? Um, and it just so happens that in this media environment, people want different voices. They want to, maybe they, maybe you can go around the media executives per se and go straight to the audience and see if, if they want to hear what you have to say. They trust your reporting. Um, if they know you and, 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 and are, and find you to be valuable. Um, if there's a freedom to it, it's like being your own boss. You know what I mean? It's like working at a, at a big company and then going on to start your own. And I think that's sort of the trend right now in media, especially as you've seen so many layoffs, journalists are, are, you know, the media business is suffering Puck has a very unique model that puts the talent first. Um, Cause you do see this at a lot of these organizations, like New York times has like a few star reporters and they're just killing it. You know what I mean? And they almost like drive all of the traffic, not all of it, but they drive a, a big part of the traffic to um, into the, to the New York times. Some could argue they could start their own organizations themselves. Um, I think it, there, there are pros and cons to both sides. And I've decided to try this other side after doing the more traditional media route. I don't think I could, I could have never started this way. I don't think maybe some people have, and they've been extremely successful, especially some of these news TikTok stars. And, but I do think having learned in um, having learned reporting standards from traditional media, it sort of set me up too in a lot of ways. And I've picked the, what I like and what I don't. And I still go on CNN. I still go on, you know, MSNBC. I'm still contributor to the networks, but um, there's a freedom to it as well. Being your being at Puck, Puck's amazing. I mean, we're reporters digging in, trying to get the scoop. I think we all are, and we offer our reporting and analysis. And I think it's kind of nice to be a small cadre of journalists who kind of don't step on each other's toes. We there's not as much politics. Like we just we do our jobs and we. And we move on, you know, <laughs> it's a really special thing. No, I, I love what you guys, my colleagues a lot. I really do. I love what you guys do. You can check out all of Tara's work over at puck.news. She's a senior political correspondent over there. Go listen to her podcast. Somebody's got to win. Listen to her wherever you get your pods. Tara, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast. Continue success to you and please yep. stay safe.
Thank you. You too. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. All right, that's our show. Our thank you to Tara Palmieri. Like I mentioned, you can go check out all of her work over at puck.news. Go listen to the podcast, Somebody's Gotta Win, available wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to check out the video portion of our interview with Tara, head over to our YouTube channel, type in Can We Please Talk Podcast. As always, we should pop right up. If we don't, email us, Can We Please Talk Podcast at gmail.com. I want to know who's ahead of us, uh, but hit subscribe while you're there. Audio podcast platforms, you know by now, Apple, Spotify, Google. Shout out to everybody who listens to us over on Good Pods. Shout out to ACAST, our hosting platform. We can't do it without them. Can't do it without each and every one of you that listens to this program. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Severi. We'll see everybody next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.